Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 11.30 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Well, good Monday morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to G's Power Hour. I never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, it is in some areas a slightly soggy central Florida, so please be careful out on the roads and, and also just make sure that you are, uh, you know, having on the proper rain gear and don't get yourself uh, sick out there. But um, we thank you for joining us this morning. And um, we are kind of dividing time this morning because of things that kind of occurred over the weekend. So first we are welcoming our beauty expert, Candace Thomas. Good morning. How are you, ma'am? Good morning. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Good to have you back. How things been going? It's been going pretty good. Good, good. So I almost I have a lot of questions, so I almost don't know where to start. But um, let's start a little bit with um, the Oscars. Did you get a chance to see any of the Oscars this weekend? Actually, no, I didn't get a chance to see the Oscars. Um, okay. This go around. I, yeah. You know, my my I, days get filled with baby shows, so. Yeah, <laughs> I got you. So, um, you know, so I'm not going to dwell on it too much. I just know that for a lot of people, it's kind of, uh, they're always looking at the styles, uh, not only clothing, but the hair. Um, and one of the things I wanted to talk about, not necessarily the hair so much, on the Oscars itself, but one particular person, um, Andy McDowell, who um, has been known in the past for her, uh, she's an actress, has been known for her tresses, uh, usually a little wild, a little curly, you know, and, and usually brown, but she's at a point now where she's embracing her gray. And um, I, was, I wanted to kind of get an idea from you about, you know, how do you, how to, I guess, best do that and how to handle, I guess, other people's observations and criticisms. Because actually it's her hair and it's really nobody else's business, but because she's out there in the public, I guess she felt like she needed to, to address it. But um, tell me about the people that you deal with, with, with their gray and what they decide to do with it and, and what you've been told from your clientele in terms of why. Honestly, when it comes to gray, I think it's a personal decision. And if you're that person that wants to go gray or has gone gray, a lot of times they have the confidence to be like, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to wear my gray hair. And I really don't care what anybody has to say about it, right? So mm-hmm. that confidence kind of is, kind of is out of the out of the person. And then they're like, well, I'm going to wear this gray no matter what anybody else says about it. And... Uh, 
tough luck if you like it. Nine times out of ten, you get really good embracing on it, you know, um, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to, I guess, everyday society. Now, Hollywood's a little different, but when it comes to everyday, everyday person, you get pretty good outpour on support on you embracing your gray. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's a personal decision. Now, if you have color in your hair and you color your hair and you're like, you know, now I don't want to color anymore, there's ways of doing that. Um, and I would definitely talk to your stylist because there's a couple ways you can do that. So consult with your hair stylist on how you can stop coloring your hair. And it depends on the depth of the color that you've been using. So if you're, mm-hmm. if you're gray and you've been doing black, it's going to take some time and hopefully you understand it takes some time because it's not going to happen overnight. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would definitely talk to my stylist about that. Yes, as she says, something that a quote, this is a quote um, on people.com. It's something I've been wanting to do, that I've wanted to do for a while, and I'm really comfortable with where I'm at right now in my life. Um, I remember, I think I got my first strand in my early 20s, and you know, it was like, okay, it's just one strand. It didn't go away. It stayed there. You know, and it was like, it's just one strand. Uh, you know, and you kind of can tuck it or cover it or whatever. But as I started to get more gray, then I was like, okay, maybe doing some tints. And I've thought about, you know, coloring and everything. But after a couple of attempts and tries with tints and stuff, it was like, first of all, I got to go out and send money to get you know, either to get the product and try to do it myself or to pay someone to, to do the tent, first of all. Uh, because I wasn't really sure if I wanted to actually color it hard, so I just decided to do the tents. And then I just decided this is just, you know, life, life is short. There's just too many other things to worry about. Um, and, you know, I, I've had various conversations about my hair with my husband. You know, he just wants it to look good and to look healthy, and, you know, he'll ask me questions from time to time, and I'll have to explain certain things to him from time to time about why my hair does X and not Y, you know. But he's al- he's always been like, you know, as long as you're comfortable with it, then, you know, you do what you want, <laughs> you know. So um, she's not that much older than me. She's 64. I'm 62, um, and I guess I just want to know, is the automatic perception with regards to gray hair that, you know, this is, a, uh, I guess, a sign of aging, or could it be, like, other factors involved? Genetics are a part of that, too, right? Genetics is mostly a part of it. Um, I have a couple of clients that were 25 and all salt and pepper. You know what I mean? Um, wow. So, again, it's genetics. And they embraced it at their early age, right? They just was like, I'm not going to, you know, it's pretty. It was good. Lady wanted to do. Um, and, again, yes, they were perceived to be older. But at mm-hmm. the same time, um they still had a young flair to them, just this salt and pepper hair. So I think it just depends. Like, you know, I felt like if you're, um, if the person that's looking at you is, is under 20 and they're like, oh, she got some gray hair, she must be in her 60s, that shows, like, to me a little bit of immaturity. But once you get to talk to the person, it, it's, it's everything, it's the whole package. 
right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I personally, and I guess my my opinion is from a personal point of view versus like you know, because I think gray hair is pretty. I think silver hair is pretty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it doesn't necessarily show. It doesn't show old age. It doesn't show maturity. Yes, it does. Candace, people's right. Okay, Hello? there you go. Yeah, we lost even, it for a moment. But even, that's okay. <laughs> even on men, I don't think, you know, they should cover it up. So that's just my personal opinion when it comes to gray. All right. So you decide to keep your gray um, or, or, you know, you decide to, to add a little gray. Um, what are the best tips? Because it can look a little um, unkempt, a lot easier than other colors of hair. So what is what do you recommend in terms of the best way to keep your gray looking foxy? So definitely um, if you have well water, um, you have to think about the minerals in your hair, I mean in the water, because it will turn any color of a lighter hue a brassy tone. Um, so I would definitely use a, a blue tint shampoo or conditioner, preferably shampoo. Uh, some, so something like Aveda Blue Mava, Shimmering Light, um, uh, Blue Bombshell from Fernisi. There's all different types. Fully blue shampoo. So it's either purple. Purple cancels out yellow. Blue cancels out orange, right? So if you want oh. that silvery fox color, um, you want to, I mean, you're getting this yellow hue, then get a purple. If you're getting an orangey hue because you have well water, then you'll get the blue. Um, and that's something you don't have to use every day. Now, Blue Malva by um, Aveda is an everyday shampoo. It won't turn your hair blue. But some of the other ones is not an everyday shampoo. It's like a treatment-type shampoo. So you just have to kind of play around with them. Which ones you want to? Which one you're going to use? So those are the two off the top of my head. Like I know Blue Mava is like an everyday um, shampoo, and it's not drying. Some of the other ones are drying, so you might want to do a deep conditioner afterwards. So there's a lot of things um, that's out there on the market that you can use. Can you find them at Walmart or Target? Not necessarily. Um, I've never really seen those types of shampoos at Walmart or Target. I probably have, but just never really paid attention to it because, I me mean, personally, I wouldn't buy it from there. So I would go to your local beauty supply store, like Sally's. They do carry a shimmering light there. Um, and that one is not an everyday shampoo, but it does do the trick by um, um, changing it for you. Yeah, and you gonna unfortunately these days you kind of got to dig to find a, uh, an open Sally's these days. So you know, just give us a heads up if you know where one is. So, <laughs> but anyway, um, wanted to also talk to you about the. Uh, it's been in the news a little bit lately about uh, the relaxer lawsuit and um, you know some of the companies involved. I know L'Oreal was mentioned as one of the main companies, but um, the, the, the bottom line is that um, there have been women who have uh, had ovarian, gotten ovarian cancer, and um, there a lot of, there's supposed to be some possible tie between the relaxers and 
the ovarian cancer or other types of cancers. Um, do you know anything about this? The relaxus has always been tied to fibroids. Now, when it comes to ovarian cancers, that one, my medical side is going to come in on that one. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, because um, ovarian cancer is not one group of people. So when it comes to fibroids, yes, a lot more African-American uh, women have come down with fibroids. So it, so it is linked to fibroids. How it's linked, we don't know. Ovarian cancer, I do feel like that's a stretch because ovarian cancer is linked to things like HPV or STDs, um, um, even genetics, not relaxer. So that is a stretch and I'm curious to see how this is going. That part's going to play out. That's just my opinion on that. How it's going to play out. Um, so there's a couple of other factors because there's people. There's a lot of women with straighter textures that's never got a relaxer that has had ovarian cancer, um, uh, or endometrial cancer, or whatever um, that they're linking it to. Fibroids, yes. Yes, relaxers has been linked to fibroids in the womb. How, though, I do not know. But it's that one I have to look more into. But it's always been out there, even before I did go to nursing school, that relaxers have been linked to fibroids in African-American women. But it's always been out there. Um, but the relation to how it's linked, that's the hard part. That's the hard part to, for me to um, try to figure out. So that one, by next time we talk, I can give you a better answer on how it's linked to fibroids. But I'm really mm-hmm. curious to see how on the lawsuit how they're linking it to ovarian cancer, considering that um, all walks of life have had um, right. races have had ovarian cancer. So um, And the link to ovarian cancer is more like STD related, not necessarily STD, but like HPV is highly linked to ovarian cancer, hence why they have the Gardasil shot vaccine for our teenagers, right, to help combat mm-hmm. those um, uh, those types of um, deformities happening. So we're both male and female, so that way the male doesn't give it to the female and the female can combat can fight it because it happens at a young age of ovarian cancer. The majority mm-hmm. of women that have gotten ovarian cancer were in their 20s based on STDs, right. right? So right. that's just the only thing I'm just, I'm just curious to see how they're going to link that together. I'm just, that one we're going to have to wait and see. But it, it has been linked to fibroids. And I do know right. how some of, some of my friends who've had fibroids are dealing with it because the fibroids have gotten so big where they have to, um, uh, go through um, what's the word I want to say infertility like I'm referring right now she has to go she's gotten hysterectomies because of the fibroids she can't have children so I can definitely see how that lawsuit can um, be uh, effective in that realm when it comes to fibroids right. because of what it does to the, to the female the cancer part right. I can't really I don't, you know I don't know right yeah and yeah, and you know, I'm seeing more that says 
seen a few that says ovarian cancer. I've seen more that say uterine cancer, uh, some that do refer to the fibroids as well. Um, and then also you mentioned uh, the infertility. I'd, I'd be interested to see more about that because I know that was something that um, I had to, to deal with after a while, just finding out they're like, you know, I mean, basically saying that, you know, I was I was kind of done, you know, in, in terms of being able to, to bear children. Um, so I guess so we I guess we're going to have to keep an eye on on this. Um, they have, I guess. Some, as we said, the first hair relaxer case, case was filed in federal court in Chicago, and many have been, more have been filed since then. All, this is, where is it, where did, and this is um, lawsuitinformationcenter.com, lawsuit-information-center.com. Um, and so, uh, you know, just keep an eye on it. I keep debating whether or not, you know, to say, okay, I'm done with it. I mean, I've been getting a, a relaxer almost as long as I can remember because I just always had challenging hair. I'll just put it that way. Uh, but, uh, and, and even still, there there are issues, relaxer or not. But um, I, I, you know, at this point, I'm like, do I really just go, you know, cold turkey or whatever and, and quit the relaxer or whatever? Or at this point, if I'm not having any problems, do I just keep going? you know, with it. So I'm going through that debate right now. So, um, if um, if you, by the way, if you are a lady out there that has had an issue with um, relaxers, whether or not it's a cancer or fibroids or some other issue, call and let us know and, and let us know how you addressed it. The number is 516-387-1944. We're going to take a quick break. We're here with stylist Candace Thomas and stylist and nurse Candace Thomas. This is G's Power Hour. I never had it so good entertainment and we will be right back. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar, or it's a difficult time and you need to plan a wake or repast. Let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. Good morning. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today with stylist and nurse Candace Thomas. The number, if you have questions or comments, is 516-387-1944. Candace, I had some questions about, you know, as I've gotten older, and I'm kind of glad I'm I'm doing it, but, you know, I've gotten more, I guess, discerning uh, in terms of what I buy for my hair. Uh, as well as trying to, you know, drink the water. I've kind of got to go back to that. I've been slacking on that, but it, it does make a difference. But in any case, you know, now we see stuff sulfate-free, paraben-free, 
um, free of this, that, and the other. Can you tell me why I need to worry about sulfates and why I need to worry about parabens and all that type of stuff? Okay, so there's different types of sulfates. So I think of the misconception is that all sulfates are bad. Not all sulfate is bad. Um, so there's certain sulfates, and I have a list, I just don't have it near me, that you want to watch out for when it comes to sulfate, right? Because um, there's some type of, some sulfates are naturally derived. You're going to find it um, in certain plants that you use that will kind of give you a little stud, Right. So the mm-hmm. stud is the, is the sulfate. So even, like, if you think about it, have you ever been to the beach and you've seen, like, that stud um, agent on the water um, of the beach? That is a sulfate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So not all sulfates are bad in a sense of, like, um, for your hair. Some of them are. Now, when it comes to paraben, paraben is the agent that keeps your product um, shelf life. Okay. So okay. if you get a product that has, like, a 10-year shelf life, I don't know about that. I don't know when you use it. Because if it can stay on the shelf for 10 years, imagine what it's doing to your body. That's just, that's just me thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why parabens, especially using parabens, not only on your hair but on your feet, so that, like, a lot of the makeup that um, – I don't know if you've noticed they've been changing the way they've been um, doing some of your foundations and stuff that you wear and on your eyes um, mm-hmm. to cut down on um, infections because of the paraben that keeps the mascara going. Um, and one thing people don't realize is how much bacteria mascara does collect. So it mm-hmm. is important to kind of research what are good parabens, uh, what's a product that has maybe least amount of paraben because you, you're, they're going to want to put it in there to make sure that it has a shelf life, right? Um, um, for example, if you're going to do canning, the paraben in the canning for to keep your, your veggies or your, your jellies kind of last longer on the shelf is the vinegar or, you know what I mean, or the pickling, that's considered mm-hmm. paraben, right? Um, mm. Is that... So that's not bad to ingest, um, but at the same time, when it comes to stuff that you're putting in your face, it's chemically chemically derived, not naturally derived. So it is good to kind of look that up to see what is in your product to um, make sure that it's not in there. Like there was one, don't know the name, but I came across these, you know, because I always talk about oils, right? Well, right. oils have a particular ingredient in it in the oil that it's not good for you. So now I'm looking at, like, some of the oils that I buy that I maybe, luckily I haven't really been purchasing these oils. It's a particular, like, cheaper brand, or I know one is called, like, a do-grow oil that has this um, substance in it that's not good for your hair. And so if it wasn't for me kind of, like, just re-researching what's in it and reading the ingredients on the oil bottle, I'm like, wait a minute, I don't think that's not healthy. Let me research that. And it ended up not something that I want to put on my body. Um, so even down to the oils that you buy, not like your grapeseed, whole grapeseed oil, but the oils that 
are uh, a little bit less expensive, right? And they um, mm-hmm. they're on the the shelf as like oh it helps grow your hair type oils. You know you might want to look and see what the ingredients are on that. So yes, it is important to continue. You know we have to try to stay healthy. You know inside and out as well. So we do have to watch what we put on our body. For sure, for sure. So. Um, and I know you and I have talked about uh, things that are out there and whether or not they should be designated for uh, relaxed hair or for curly hair. And you have said that most products that are that you know you should be looking at should be good for any type of hair. Correct. Correct. Most products should be good for any kind of hair. So where it breaks down is um, is, is what your desired is. So if you are curly, but you're thin curly and it doesn't have you any any volume and you decide to get volume hair, even though it seems to be that volume product is marketed to straighter textures, right? You can use them, all right? But keep in mind, it might my hair might feel a little drier than, than you're probably used to. And vice versa, if you have a lot of hair and it's straight, but you're like, it's just feels dry all the time, but I'm going to try this curly product because curly products have a lot more moisture in it. Just keep in mind, mm-hmm. it's going to have a lot more moisture in it. You know what I mean? Same thing with the term of dry shampoo. Dry shampoo is mm-hmm. not for me because I like the moisture in my hair, and I already have a lot of product build up from the other mm-hmm. products I use in my hair. So dry shampoo is not something that I personally would use. But if you are that person that has been washing their hair every day, trying to get out of that trend of washing your hair every day, and Mm -hmm. you're trying to come back that natural oiliness that you just produce and have the scalp and it makes your hair look greasy, dry shampoo might be for you. So it just depends on what your, your primary need is. I'm glad you mentioned dry shampoo because that was actually my next question because I saw this uh, promotion, this advertisement for dry shampoo, and I'm like, hmm. You know, and I, 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 I've not considered it much for myself, but when um, my mom was in the hospital, I remember getting, you know, like, okay, I need to do something with her hair and getting some dry shampoo for that. But don't you, you mentioned buildup, and that's, I guess, what I have been concerned about is like, isn't there some point where you actually have to use a regular shampoo? You just can't keep using dry shampoo? Correct. So, you know, you still have to wash your hair eventually because it does create, (laughs) it's a powder. So Mm -hmm. before they came out with dry shampoo, people were using baby powder and powder on their hair, okay, flour, to come back the oil. So that's the basis of dry shampoo. You still got to get that out. So that's why I said for me, I have excessive skin cells reproduction, which is seborrheic dermatitis, and, you know, it's going to kick on my scalp. I already have that excess skin from the scalp coming off. So mm-hmm. that's going to even make it worse, you know what I mean? So I have to think right. about, do I want to look like I have, like, flaky or do I want to just go ahead and buffer and clean it? Now, I already wash my hair maybe once a week anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, waiting a week is going to hurt me. Now, when you're a person that's in the hospital, right, mm-hmm. and you're sick, 
who we use dry shampoo to kind of prolong the time, yes, we do. But eventually, we still going to have to wash that patient's hair with soap mm-hmm. and with shampoo and water because we can only use but so much shampoo. I mean, dry shampoo. So it's still going to have to happen. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So it's something like, you know, for that person that washes their hair every day, this is where dry shampoo comes in handy. If it's that person that waters their hair every day, washes their hair with shampoo every single day, twice a day, and they're trying to get out of that habit. So then mm-hmm. what happens is the sebaceous glands is going to continue to reproduce, and um, they don't realize that the, the scalp is going to think that it's being damaged, Right. So mm-hmm. you're washing your hair, it's going to produce that oil again. So we got to train the, that skin to think that this is normal and to kind of come back the oil that it's producing, okay? So that way mm-hmm. if you have that hair that is thinner and it seems like you washed it and then you do it and you, and you could just be, you know, walking to the mailbox and come back and it's just so oily, then a dry shampoo can help prolong you from washing your hair. So that's the benefit of dry shampoo. But is it for everybody? No. Okay. All right. Next time that you're back, because uh, we, we've got to go, because, I, I, like I said, we, I, I had to take some time from you. I'm sorry. I'll make that up at some point. But um, next time you're back, you know, we're in the spring, People may be looking for a good cut, so I want to talk a little bit about that next time you're on. So uh, thank you, and uh, we'll talk soon, Candace. Have a blessed day. You too. Hang on. When we come back, we're going to talk to Paul V. Shelton of Warwick Shore. Yes, it's not his regular day, but there's a couple things that we needed to address with him. So just stay with us. This has been G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and we will be right back. Does it appear the long arm of the law is working against you instead of for you? Whom do you call when the boys in blue are pursuing you? When the wrong person behind bars may end up being you? With over 40 years combined legal expertise, Anderson and Welch bring to bear a smart, sound, sensible defense of those caught in what may be the unrelenting grip of the legal system. Turn to Anderson and Welch first to get ahead of trouble, not fall into it, by calling 561-832-3386. That's 561-832-3386. That's Anderson and Welch Law Firm online at andersonandwelch.com. Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. And we want to welcome back to the Paul, to the show Paul V. Shelton of Warwick Shore. And if you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. So there's a couple of things. Paul, good morning. How's it going? Good morning. I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm uh, doing fine. I know you are a busy man, so we'll try to get right to it. Um, number one, uh, before we get to the other thing that I need to elaborate on, uh, let's talk about jobs. Uh, good, bad, what's the deal? So our jobs report came in um, better than expected. So it, it continued to increase, and we added more jobs to the economy. 
um, that was ex- that was more than expected in the month of um, February. However, there were some downward revisions for the month of uh, January, which kind of helped normalize things a little bit. But overall, mm-hmm. this continued to paint the backdrop for the Federal Reserve to continue its path towards um, bringing down inflation by tightening monetary policy, by, you know, continuing to tighten uh, monetary policy. So that's a, a negative caveat that the market uh, did not want to see um, because many market analysts believe that we do have uh, inflation somewhat in check or we're getting it under control. But whenever you do see these hot economic um, data points that come out, such as the job report, it lets us know that the Federal Reserve is going to continue to tighten and the fear is that they will over-tighten and, and really strip the screws of the economy and lead to a recession, uh, which we really do not want to see. So uh, and I want to ask, you know, I'm like, oh, yes, this job report is good, but at the same time I'm hearing, oh, there's not jobs out there. People are looking for jobs, can't find jobs. What is going yeah. on? Is it that there's not jobs or is it just not the jobs that they want? I think there is a significant amount of jobs out there. When you look at the JOLTS report and you look at the job openings, there are several jobs that are are available. We're still running um, over, I think, 1.2 jobs for every job seeker that is out there. Um, I think the biggest problem that we're running into in our economy is there is a mismatch between um, the services offered and those desired. So many of those job seekers that are out there um, are, are not looking for um, some of the jobs that are offered or may have a mismatch in the skill set that many of the jobs are, are looking for in a regional standpoint. Um, as, as we've noticed over several years, um, technology is really, you know, driving our economy, has always driven our economy. And we're shifting now more so to, to more of a, a tech-oriented um, economy as opposed to being primarily a service-oriented economy. And, and, and in that respect, there is going to be fewer jobs available uh, for service industry. Or many of those jobs that were initially available for service are shifting um, to more of a tech-driven um, um, support channel. For example, um, in the financial industry, there's not a need for as many uh, analysts. There's not a need for as many underwriters um, from a human capital standpoint. But the job function itself still has a, a, a demand. So a lot of that job function is being outsourced to those that know how to really use um, computer programming and how to program and use technology to fulfill the need for those job functions. So should people who are, you know, leaving those particular jobs and I understand what you're saying. For example, you go into a lot of stores these days, um, and I'm, you know, seeing used to seeing a variety of of people at registers, for example, in the grocery store, and instead mm-hmm. you're seeing one person, and then you're seeing eight self checkouts, and then the one person Correct. floating around those eight self checkouts. So, so that really means that seven people may have lost their jobs. Because they've been replaced Correct. by self-checkout. Now it might be, I might be a little drastic, but still. So, um, what do you do? do you, okay, you say you need to retrain. If you don't have a job, you sometimes you can't pay the money to go and get re-educated. Should you be able to, I guess, go to an employer 
and try to negotiate some sort of training uh, or a retraining that makes you uh, eligible for the job that is available? Yeah, and, and you bring up a good point about that, specifically in the grocery stores, and, and we're seeing that across many retail outlets where you're being um, automatically sent to uh, what I call the virtual checkout option. You know, I, I was actually in a CVS um, last month, and there was a cashier standing there ready, available, and I went to her, her desk, and she referred me to turn around and use the kiosk instead of using her so but you're seeing that, that shift more and more, and uh, there are certain caveats of that that I do not like because it takes out the personal mm-hmm. um, touch that you have, you know, with the relationship with your retailer, um, which is a, a negative from a customer service standpoint. But there is a, um, there is a significant shift in that, and, and I think the responsibility is twofold. I think, one, it lies on – um, the supplier of the services, the employer, and it also relies on that employee being uh, forward-thinking and in pursuing the things that they need to pursue in order to be able to better um, equip themselves for the changing environment. I've always said that education is key. The more education you have, the better equipped you are uh, for a changing environment. I also believe that as, as we are maturing in technology, um, employers should do have somewhat of a fiduciary responsibility to their staff and to the families that they're supporting um, by allowing uh, training and education for their employees. Now, every company doesn't take that stance, and not every company is going to be, you know, prudent about doing that, but I, I do agree that that's something that should be done. On the surface now, is there anything available? No, there isn't. There isn't any legislation that's in the process. Of, of trying to mandate that either. So it's something that is really only self-governed, you know, in-house by each individual company. But it's, uh, it's something that I, I agree with you. It should be done on a, on a grander scale. This may be a good time to look also to at hobbies, right, that you could develop. And, and the reason I say that is because there's a need right now for things like lifeguards, Okay. Yeah. And if you swim, yeah. you know, for fun, and if you're a strong swimmer, a good swimmer, you know, you want to maybe boost those skills and maybe put them to good use. They're a lifeguard job. And, you know, in Florida, with everybody, you know, rushing to the beach during spring break and, and every other chance, the lifeguard here uh, job here is, is very crucial and important, you know. So it is. That's, yeah. 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 And, then and, and I agree with still, that. And that's one of those – I'm sorry. No, no, please go ahead. Yeah, I was going to just just piggyback on that for because for me personally, I, 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 you know, that's something that's very interesting to me. You know, I, I speak about technology, how it's taken over a lot of many, or cannibalizing many of the jobs that we have in our economy. But not everything can be taught um, through technology or virtually. Um, exactly. For example, swimming is is one of those things. So, um, my my community, <laughs> my community robot pool, to go into the water. <laughs> exactly, and and I can't join a Zoom class and gain confidence with putting my head underwater at the same time. So that's exactly. one of the caveats that are that are out there. I, I know in my specific community, the community pool, um, there is a need for lifeguards right now. There is a need for swim instructors. And you bring up a very, very good point, especially if we are 
at a point in our economy where we may see uh, more employment volatility ahead or any other volatility um, Mm -hmm. to our personal incomes. Um, This is a time where we can really hone in not only on our skills and the things that we've learned um, through education and experience, but also on those hobbies. How can we take those hobbies that we that we know that we love and that we do, and how can we monetize mm-hmm. those those hobbies? And and I think that where we are um, embracing technology helps us do that. Uh, if you like cooking, if you like um, stitching, sewing, and so many different things, um, creating a YouTube channel really can be a caveat for you to express that, as well as a monetization factor for you as well. So there's. There are so many um, good ideas that you, you mentioned when you bring that up. Yeah. And, and then, too, even if you don't have, let's say, all of the skills, but you have some skills that are comparable and you just need to get a little bit more training, and the training is probably out there. Right now, we have a bus driver shortage, serious bus yeah. driver shortage. And, and not in just Orange County and Osceola County, there's a lot of places that need good bus drivers. You know, do you drive well? You know, do you, are you, you know, safety conscious? You know, our, our precious cargo needs you right now. So that might be something to look into, too, if you're, you know, finding that, you know, that you, you might uh, be out on, you know, the unemployment, uh, in the unemployment line soon. So that's another thing. So, but we're going to take a quick break. But before we do, speaking of, I guess, hobbies, I'm just assuming I came across a cousin that I absolutely do not know, but she is starting a cupcake business down in South Florida. Lexi Dimps, congratulations. She did her grand opening this weekend, and I wanted to throw that out there, Lexi. So, anyway, we're going to take a quick break. The number, if you have comments or questions, is 516-387-1944. G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. This is Douglas Dobbs of Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community for 29 years with quality funeral and cremation services. Honoring all religions and faiths, we have been here for many grieving families. Whether it's a complete funeral service with a burial or a simple dignified cremation, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here for you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720, Dobbs dedicated to serving our families. Hi, I'm Tim Garris, and I think I found a way to help you understand what is Chill Out Jazz. Some of y'all may be Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. We want to thank Candace Thomas, stylist that was on earlier, and we are now talking with Paul Z. Paul, I can't talk today. Paul V. Shelton of Warwick Shore. Uh, and the number, if you have questions or comments uh, regarding the economy or any financial stuff, it's 516-387-1944-VB, right? Yes. The Silicon Valley. Okay. Bank. Silicon Valley Bank, what is up? And I heard that, was there another one since SVB this weekend? Yes, there was. So there was Signature Bank that also uh, collapsed over the weekend, um, uh, went into receivership, and, and that was expected to take place after um, Silvergate 
went down. So Silvergate took place as a result of FTX, which was their largest um, c- c- customer, um, fell, you know, due to the uh, the fraud that took place, you know, in the cryptocurrency arena surrounding FTX. Um, there, we knew that there would be a continuing, or I, I would say, a trickle down effect that would happen with um, Signature Bank because they were notably the next in line and had a large exposure to crypto currencies and had a very similar, you know, banking infrastructure or, or product offering as um, as Silvergate. So we, we knew that would be potentially, you know, along the, the ranges. Uh, what was a, a new caveat or, or that kind of threw us off or threw everyone off is, is the collapse of, of, of Silicon Valley Bank. And uh, this is this really was a, you know, a similar issue, but not the same exact, um, I would say, tenets that caused the other two banks to shut, shut down. Now, one thing just to, to go through banking, you know, really quick, you, you have restrictive covenants on how much you can loan out or lend to any one particular entity. Um, you also have concentration limits that are levied on you by um, the, the federal government to make sure that you're staying um, viable and liquid at the same time. Um, a little history with Silicon Valley Bank. They're, you know, as their name reads, they're um, headquartered out of Silicon Valley, which is the tech hub and the research tech hub in this country. A lot of the funding and a lot of the banking that the that SDB did was along the lines of tech startups, um, venture capital, angel seed investing that took place primarily in tech-driven um, San Jose, Silicon Valley, San Francisco, that whole region um, of California. Um, what, take, what has taken place over the last year and change, as we've seen the Federal Reserve increase interest rates, is typically when interest rates are rising, that puts a pinch on venture capital, that puts a pinch on private equity, also on those high-tech growth stocks that are out there, which many of them are technology-driven. So you have a, a bank that has $40 billion in assets, and a large portion of its uh, loan portfolio is concentrated in those particular companies that are, are poised to, to see volatility and headwinds whenever interest rates rise and costs become more expensive to them. Um, and that's just something that we've seen that, that took place over the last month, and it culminated in the last week with them trying to uh, raise capital to, to make sure that the liquidity scenario stays in a proper stance, but we're unable to do so, especially in light of the bank run that took place um, at the end of the week on SBP, SBB, uh, which significantly dropped their capital as well as their net worth ratio and their tier one capital ratio um, dropped below the standards of which are held by FDIC and which are held by the, the state and um, federal regulator. So that's why they fell into receivership on Friday. And over the weekend, um, the Federal Reserve and the U.S. Treasury issued a joint statement stating that they would backstop all deposits. Now, this is above and beyond the FDIC requirement of 250000 They announced that they would backstop all of the uh, deposits that were in um, these two banks and allow depositors to be able to make withdrawals. Now, at the same time, the federal government was looking for a, um, a buyer for this asset. 
which is Silicon Valley Bank, which is the same exact thing that we saw take place between Friday and Monday for Lehman Brothers and for Washington Mutual and all the other that fell apart during the Great Recession. They were able to do so, unfortunately, with HSBC, and they struck an agreement that HSBC would come in and underwrite the purchase of the assets. Now, the exact details of that transaction have not been disseminated. At least I have not seen them as of yet. But HSBC being on the level of uh, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase, provides a backdrop of liquidity that will make SBB's um, depositors feel a lot more comfortable about the liquidity situation of, of their deposits. So as of right now, that's currently where we stand. Um, the hope is that this is an isolated issue with these three entities and that there will not be any further contagion along the realms of other regional banks that may be in trouble. Um, mm-hmm. but realistically, there could be others that are um, in a similar capital adequacy scenario as, as these three banks were. Okay. So I have a lot of questions because I am so ignorant on a lot of this stuff, but um, from the little bit that I heard, isn't, is, is, HSBC the same bank that had to bail out SVP is it SVB in in overseas in Europe? Wasn't um, there something going so on in Europe? HSBC does have a, a large international presence. So there were some things that, that took place in Europe. I'm not sure exactly about who it was last year that the uh that they acquired over there, but I believe it was a banking institution that did some, um, that had some debts related to um, some some entities in Europe, and I forget uh, the Bank of Cyprus, I believe historically is where um, they stepped in it as well and helping out Cyprus uh, when they went through their default. Okay, so I have an issue. Okay, so we've got a foreign entity and you know i mean we, we, you try to you basically get help where you, where where you can get it but still we've got a foreign entity buying up or or you know bailing out whatever this particular bank situation i'm sure there have been others and then we we still owe a big debt to china right um a, a country that is you know almost siding with russia when it comes to this war in ukraine um, can we afford to continue to to get ourselves um, on a government level, level and on a uh, private institution level in debt with foreign entities? Well, in, in this case, um, HSBC does have a significant um, North America market and a significant market in, in the United States. I'm sure the the conversations that took place on the level. Uh, from the federal government were done with the overseers of the institution that is regulated and and positioned in the United States because they fall under the same FDIC regulations um, as SBB. And in that respect, I believe the the federal government was acting as an agent just to provide liquidity um, to SBB and to their depositors and not necessarily – um, funneling in any uh, any debt that they were going to be liable for to HSBC um, for SBB. 
So it's it's merely a transaction where the government says, hey, we'll bring you to receivership, which they do often. Um, and it happens often where credit unions and banks, whenever their liquidity falls um, below a certain level. It just so happens that this one was in the public eye because of the nature of it. But there are bank collapses that take place monthly. And and this is the, the mode of the bank. They typically come in, um, they fall into receivership, and then they look for another entity that is able to operate or take them over or, or receive those funds into the fold as they, you know, move forward as opposed to unwinding operations so that things can continue to run smoothly. Now, they're purely just acting as an agent. So there's no liability or no credit or anything that's been established with an international entity from this particular standpoint in that respect. So everything is, is just moving forward in, in market nuances. Um, now, as an international company, um, they have their U.S. division, which they'll run if they, for whatever reason, they decide to shut down their U.S. division or expand it. That's purely just, you know, market modus that has nothing to do with the federal, you know, government in that respect, in that standpoint. So it would be agnostic to anything um, from a geopolitical standpoint. Okay. Um, aren't there a system of checks and balances that are in place or should be in place that are to prevent these type of um, collapses from happening? And they, also they, I want to ask about, before you answer that, I also want to ask about the fact that there were people who were uh, divesting uh, that were involved with the company, I, my understanding, prior to the actual collapse. Is that correct? Um, I bet I don't know. So, you know, and I'm sure we'll hear more and learn more. Um, as the weeks go on and as, as more details come out. And, I, and personally, I'll be very interested to see the the, uh, the reports and the videos that will come out, you know, particularly a year or two from now, explaining the full details of everything that happened minute by minute and how everything went down. Um, so that, that you know, we don't have the full knowledge on as of yet, but there there are, you know, safety requirements and safety protocols that, that go into place on, on several levels, on the economic front and on the, the market front. On the market front, um, the stock was halted several times to prevent, you know, further deterioration of its stock price going down, which is also a deterioration of its assets as well. So that was some of the market constraints that went into play. Um, falling to receivership, having the government take it over and backstop the, the assets that were available um, is a, I was to say, like a, a second our third tier of market functions that are that are there as as a safety protocol. The initial protocols that are there is the backstop by the FDIC to secure two hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of deposits, which for many individuals is, is more than enough um, per account and those accounts can't be like titled. Um, but for many businesses, which is the caveat that as um, Silicon Valley Bank had um, servicing large entities uh, they may spend $250,000 in the course of a day or two, definitely in the course of a week. There could be interchange transactions that can take place above that. So now it opens up, in addition to the safeguards and the guardrails that we have in place right now to protect things like this from happening, 
is should there be more safeguards or should there be new regulations to deal with not only individual accounts of 250000 because the thought process was we're going to secure individuals, um, meaning um, everyday consumers for that 250000 in each account, which was raised, you, you remember, from 100000 and which was prior to the Great Recession. Now the thought process mm-hmm. is, is there another level that should be done um, specifically for businesses? Because it could be too cumbersome for, you know, one business that may have, you know, $100 million in assets and many of it, much of it in cash or entertain fees or things that they're doing. To have that in separate accounts of $250,000 a piece. And, you know, just from an operational standpoint, that could just be way too cumbersome. And um, just the level of complexity that that will put on on the infrastructure of the banking system, that should be addressed as well. So the, the one good thing that we have is, is we are in a very sophisticated and developed society where – when these things happen today, they don't necessarily transpire to what a 1929 bank run would have looked like in this country. Um, and to that standpoint, it doesn't translate to what a bank run or what a market crash would have looked like five years ago in China, which is still very undeveloped when it comes to their stock market and unsophisticated. So those are the caveats that we have in place right now. Um, there are several other tranches and nuances that each entity, each bank and credit union is subject to, such as Basel 1, 2, and 3, such as Tier 1 capital ratios, such as regular audits and compliance checks that takes place on a regular basis to help mitigate these things from happening. But there's never a 100% fail-safe opportunity. There's just always an opportunity for growth. Okay, so um, what what should we maybe we be keeping our eye out on in the next month or so, or a couple of weeks before you come back and join us? Yeah, no. So I, I definitely say um, I, I would definitely advise everyone that your deposits are safe. Um, if you have you know up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars for sure, they are safe. And what the federal government has signaled to us is that deposits above that at least in an intermediate term, they're going to backstop and, and create a safety net for us so that we will not see any potential runs on the on the banks and things of that nature. So I, I, I kind of want to – I feel like it's important, and this is something that I'm doing in my own entity and the credit union that I run as well, is, you know, we're, we're proactively putting out communication and we're pro- proactively sharing with our team that our deposits mm-hmm. are safe. Um, the liquidity and the soundness of our financial institutions, for the most part, are secure and, and very and very safe. Um, and so, I, I would you know let everyone know just to, to be cognizant of, of what you hear on, on the media and be cognizant of the outlets in which you hear it from. Um, hearing something on Twitter and Instagram may not be as reliable as hearing it. No, on on your evening news. And and essentially that's what created the bank run that we saw um, that took place with Silicon Valley Bank. Um, If you look at the Great Recession back in 2008 versus today, uh, there was Um, active daily users of 200,000 back then versus, mm -hmm. you know, billions of daily users today on Twitter. 
And we're going to have to leave it there, Paul. But like I said, hopefully we can um, get back together in the next few weeks and uh, get an update and, and look at some other things, too. So thanks for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Have a blessed day. And thank you all for listening. This has been G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Be well, be, be-, be safe, be blessed. Talk to you tomorrow, God willing. And please remember, all real, all real power comes from God. Take care.